Bibles and turn uh, to the book of Isaiah. We're switching gears today uh, for the Christmas season. And we're going to be looking at a word of prophecy uh, from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 today. A prophecy about the coming, the arrival of the Lord Jesus as Messiah. Uh, we're going to examine this together today from Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is somewhere near the middle of your Bible, uh, uh, more on the, um, toward the end than not. And so look that up and take your time in getting there. If you don't have a Bible today, uh, these words will be on the screen for you. And if you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word just for you. And we have those on the table in the back. Uh, don't uh, be afraid to pick one up. If you need a Bible in your life, there's no cost to you, just a gift from the heart of our church uh, to you this morning. Prophecy is a little bit different than the rest of biblical literature. Uh, it can be somewhat confusing to our eyes because we're not used to reading um, literature that is arranged this way. Buddy Hall uh, put it to me this way recently. Uh, that prophecy, when you read prophecy, it's like looking through a, a tube. Or those to whom this, the prophecy was written were like looking through a, a long tube, like a paper towel roll, and they could see flashes of light, glimpses of God's revelation. But because they're looking at it this way, it's hard to tell when on the timeline that flash took place. And there are three prophetic uh, periods of time that I want us to be aware of this morning. When you're reading prophecy, even the book of the Revelation, which we've been in, uh, there's something called the past-present. What that means is that in the past, when this was being written, it was happening in their present. I mean, it was happening right then. They knew about it. They saw it. it they were experiencing it. And the second period of time is called the past-future, which means from their perspective in the past... These things spoken of in the Bible would be in their future. And so in Isaiah, 700 years before the appearance of Christ on earth, the Bible prophesies about his coming. That would have been past future, but now to us, it is in our what? It's in our past, past future. And the last period of time we need to be aware of is the present future. That means to us still, these matters lie in the future. And so when we read prophecy, even the passage we're going to look at today, there are some mixture of items in here that were past-present. For them, it was happening imminently. It was, it was coming on the scene at their time. We'll see past-future, the foreshadowing of things in their future, which are now in our past, and we will see things that are foreshadowed in this prophecy that are both to their future and are still to our future. When we hear that the government will be upon his shoulders, right? There is a measure of that that is still yet to come. It hasn't fully happened yet. And so keep that in mind. As we look at this, it can all be mixed up. And sometimes it's hard for us to distinguish which is which. It's even probably... Um, hidden from the prophets themselves at times as to which portion is which. And that's okay. I just want to say that's okay this morning. We're going to look at this together, and even though it's complicated, there are some simple truths that we can draw 
from Isaiah chapter 9, the prophecy of the arrival of the Lord Jesus. Somebody told me last night, it was Scotty Sisk. Scotty, I don't know if Scotty's here still. Scotty right back there. At a Christmas program uh, not too long ago, Scotty was tasked with going from table to table and lighting the candles on that table. A nice Christmas program with candles in the fellowship hall. He went from table to table and he lit them with his little stick lighter and he came to the last table and it was hard to light. In fact, he stood there for a long time with the flame touching the, the wick and it just wouldn't go. He looked around, didn't know what was happening, but he stuck with it and he just kept going and finally it lit. He walked away. Soon he heard a commotion coming from that table and realized that the, the flame at that table was bigger than all the other flames. And black smoke was twirling up into the air. And the people at that table were jumping for their safety. Not, not, not really. They didn't do that. But, uh, <laughs> but something was clearly wrong. And they called him over and said, Scotty, you have lit an LED candle, right? <laughs> it was a plastic battery-operated candle. But sure enough, it put off more light than any of the others, didn't it? There's a time when we need light. And in this moment in Isaiah, it was a time of darkness. And into this darkness, the prophet Isaiah, through, through God's own message, the prophet Isaiah comes and says, hold on, hang on, take strength, have hope. The Lord is going to do something. A light is coming into your darkness. And their darkness may not have been exactly the same as our darkness today. Maybe you're here today and you're just hurting and in deep pain. Someone texted me, I think it was late last night. <clears throat> and on my phone, I got a message. It said, listen, I don't want to talk about this. I don't even want to explain the details of it. But, but I am just feeling intense sadness right now. Uh, a person that suffers with the coming and going of depression in their life. They said, I'm just feeling intense sadness right now. Uh, will you please just pray for me? And I did pray for them. I want you to know that the Bible holds a message of hope uh, that, that comes from 700 years ago that lasted until the birth of Jesus Christ and that goes on into an eternal future. If you're suffering in darkness this morning, the light of the world has come. That is a settled fact. He is here and you have access to him. It's an amazing truth. That God has given us today. So let's look at this together. The prophecy of the future Messiah from Isaiah chapter 9, uh, a prophetic book with lots of words about the future, and this one in particular about the coming of the Lord Jesus. Verse 1 But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, this her. I don't think it's a literal singular person, a lady. I think it is representative of the people of Israel. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Who brought them into contempt? The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, they, they represent these suffering people in darkness, uh, even God's own people, Israel. Who was it that brought them into contempt? It was God himself. God had executed judgment upon them because of their sinfulness, because of their rebellion and willful rejection of his ways 
after he extended them mercy after mercy and chance after chance, finally at some point to correct and to corral his people, God brings them into contempt and the hand of judgment falls upon the people of God. In the former times, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in, in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You see the mixture of, of the tenses here. Something God's promising in the future, he's speaking of in the past. It's okay. On them has light shone. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation you have increased its joy they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian these people who were burdened these people uh, who were beaten the staff for his shoulder uh, these people who were oppressed, the rod of the oppressor, the Bible says, God, you have snapped it. I mean, you've broken that pain as you did when on the day of Midian. We're going to talk about that from Judges chapter 6. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That's as if to say that the, the conflict will cease There'll be no more need for, for these things. Every boot, every garment rolled in blood, be burned for the, it's going to come to an end. Why is this suffering? Why is this darkness? On whose account are these people going to experience relief? It's on the account of verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Uh, have we seen peace like this yet? Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. We haven't seen it yet. This is yet to our future. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal, I love this, remember this, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is complicated but simple. And there are three simple depictions I want us to see today of what Christmas means. The first is this. There's a deserved darkness here. A deserved darkness. God's people are described in a place of great suffering, but they brought it on themselves. Who brought them into contempt? Who, who brought them under this darkness, this, even this deep darkness, this despair, this gloom, this anguish? Who did it? It was, in fact, the Lord himself who brought them in to this condition of suffering. These were guilty people. He is judging his people for what they deserve for their sins. I was a police officer for many years, and on one overnight shift in downtown Chattanooga, we got a call of a traffic accident and got there, and 
there was one car there in the middle of the road and the, the big bus stop station, you know those that people sit under, they have the roofs and uh, the car had hit it and uh, unbolted it from the concrete. The bus stop station flipped over in the air and when I got there it was still spinning on its top in the middle of Broad Street in Chattanooga. Right there, there's the car there, the door's open. Down the road in the darkness, I see somebody walking, and I go down to just talk to him for a minute. They're kind of disoriented and, and staggering a little bit. I just took him and put him in the back seat of the car. I didn't say much to them. I got back in the car, and this young man had pulled out a cell phone and was on the phone in the back seat. And I just listened to him, and I heard him say, I'm going to jail. Just like that, I'm going to jail. And apparently the other person on the other end of the phone must have said, you know, what happened or why are you going to jail? Because the next thing he said was exactly, I'm going to quote it for you, because of beers. And I thought, you know, he's got it right. You know, he's just a, I hadn't told him that I thought he was the driver. I wasn't even totally sure if I could prove that he was the driver. I wasn't sure of anything. But you know who was sure? He was right? I'm going to jail because of beers. Uh, he knew he was guilty. And these folks in here are guilty. This is a deserved darkness. The Bible puts it strangely uh, in, at the end of this section. At the, uh, let me get the verse. Verse 2. At the end of verse 2, uh, the order is a little bit different. On them, on them, a light has shone. It's, it's to, to give us a, a word of surprise. A light has shone on them, on these folks who are guilty, on these folks who deserve the darkness. A light has shone on them. We ought to be a little surprised by that, a little shocked. And maybe even a notion of injustice rises up in us where we say, that ain't right. That ain't right. Do you know what they did? Do you know how guilty and deserving of this they are? On them a light should not shine. But that's the message of Christmas, isn't it? It's a trustworthy saying in the letter to Timothy. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save whom? Sinners. And the Apostle Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. The miracle of Christmas is the shocking surprise of God's redeeming love for those who don't deserve it. And that category of people is not a them or a they category. It is a we and an us category. None of us deserves it. At Christmas, when we think of the uncanny story that the Lord God of all the ages sent his son to be born in a nasty manger for us we ought to look at ourselves and say on us on us a light has shone God did this for us we deserved what we were getting we were sinners we were them and God has shown a light praise God for what he did at Christmas praise God for the character of love that goes that deep it's a deserved darkness but it's also we see a deliverer in this darkness there is a deliverer in this darkness there are two surprising features in God's plan of deliverance here the first is this we see this in verses three through five 
the battle appears to be already settled. I mean, the, the, the deliverance appears to have already taken place. We see this because these folks are rejoicing. How are they rejoicing? As, as at the day of harvest. As if they're already, they're already receiving, they're already harvesting the bounty that God is bringing to them because of this promise that he's making here. Even though the, the Lord Jesus wouldn't come for 700 years, they're rejoicing as if the harvest is already here. There's a saying that goes with this. Some of you people who grew up on farms probably know this. Don't count your what? Chickens before they hatch, right? Well, these people are definitely counting their chickens before they hatch. They're rejoicing as at the rejoicing of a harvest time, as, as when they divide the spoil among themselves. God's promises are so sure, they are so certain, his character is so unfailing that when he makes a promise, we can count on it as if it's already been done, as if the harvest has already come. And at Christmas time, in churches like these, Believers in Jesus Christ all over the place will have an unlikely rejoicing. You'll see people sitting here in this place tonight, even this morning, who an outside world might look on and say, they really shouldn't be rejoicing. Because I know the, the, the messed up situation that they're walking through. I know the loss that they're going through right now. Right here at Christmas time, they're suffering an unimaginable loss. And our eyes can look out from here and see people like that who are hurting, who are devastated, rising up and rejoicing as if the harvest has already come. God's word is true and his promises are sure. There's a young man in this very town, 17 years old, senior at Gainesville High School, leaned into the net of a batting cage on the 20th of November, not long before Thanksgiving, Leaned into that batting cage right as a, a young man had swung and that bat came around and hit him in the head. He went into a coma. Stayed there for many weeks until he was declared to be brain dead. And now he's offering up his organs on the transplant list. Jeremy Medina, 17, Gainesville High School. Gone in an instant. His parents got on the television and and went on Access WDUN. Here's a quote from what they had to say. David Medina, the boy's father, right in the midst of this, said, I just want everybody to be sure. <laughs> I just want you all to be sure, to be sure that our strength, my family's strength, my strength since day one has been and only been rooted in the most and amazing power of Jesus Christ our Savior and Redemptor. Not a word I'm familiar with, Redemptor, but I know what it means, don't you? And in the midst of this agony, I mean, I don't even want to think about it. It makes, it makes my stomach turn to think about that young man and what that family is going through. And they are able to, in the midst of this, somehow rejoice as the rejoicing of the harvest. God, no matter what, your promises are true and unfailing. These folks in Isaiah would never live to see Messiah, but they rejoice as if God has already done it. That's the first surprise. The battle is settled. The second surprise is this. The champion is surprising. 
Uh, this is going to happen. God's deliverance is going to come as on the day of Midian. And very quickly, the day of Midian comes from Judges chapter 6, the story of Gideon. God approaches him and says, uh, greetings, O mighty man of valor. You remember that? Gideon says, you got the wrong guy. Gideon was found hiding down in a wine press from the enemies of God, the Midianites, who were just numbered like the sand on the seashore, innumerable in their power and their number. This man was down there hiding, and he rises up. He said, you've got it wrong, Lord. I am the, the weakest of the least family of the lowest clan in all of Israel. You've got it wrong. You're calling me a mighty man of valor. And God says, no, I want you to lead Israel into victory against the Midianites. He says, there's no way I can do that. And he, said, he starts counting up. He said, well, we, we do have, you know, multiplied thousands of people that we could draw from and maybe take with us. God said, no, <laughs> no, you're not. He said, you're going to whittle it down until there's just a matter of a few hundred of you. Just a few hundred of you. And you're the weakest of the least of the lowest. And you're going to lead us to victory against the Midianites. And sure enough, they went. And with God on their side, with the power of God there, they defeated them. Why does God do things that way? To show that the surpassing power belongs to him. There ain't no way that the lowest of the least of the weakest with a few hundred men, could go against that army and prevail. People would have looked at that and said, there must be something bigger going on here. This is how God is going to deliver when he sends Messiah into the world. He's going to deliver in such a way that people would look and say, a baby born to impoverished parents in a stable is how you're going to bring deliverance to the world. People would look at that and say, this must be then. A higher work. This must be a work of God. I saw a few weeks ago on the news that there were some turkeys uh, in the White House. Not the ones that are normally there, uh, but um, <laughs> of either party, I'll say. But uh, these actual turkeys, they were there to be pardoned. A uh, tradition that is uniquely American that before Thanksgiving, the president will issue a pardon to some turkeys that they don't have to be eaten that year for Thanksgiving. And these turkeys were at the White House. They have names. Uh, let me find them. Liberty and Bell. That's right. Somebody knows their names. Liberty and Bell. They're from Minnesota. They flew in first class to Washington, D.C. They stayed at the Willard Intercontinental Hotel, a fancy hotel. In fact, I've got a picture of them in their hotel. That really is them at their hotel, the Willard Intercontinental Hotel. Beautiful, white, fluffy. Turkeys don't come this clean normally, but these are clean. They're white and fluffy. You know, in one of the uh, pictures, they have little ribbons on, little outfits to go into the White House. And I thought to myself, you know, they don't really belong there, do they? And I guarantee you that those turkeys didn't make their plane reservations on their own. And they didn't check in at the Willard Intercontinental on their own, did they? Right? The article says they took a bubble bath while they were there. They didn't do that on their own either. They didn't dress themselves. They didn't clean themselves. Turkeys don't get this way in this setting on their own. Why not? Because they're turkeys. God delivers in just the same way. When we see these guys on your screen right now, we know they had somewhat help. There was a greater power at work, a higher intelligence, a bigger purpose going behind them. 
When we see Gideon and the Midianites, we say, oh my goodness, there is something higher at work, something beyond us. When we see the Lord Jesus come, we are instantly told, we understand that this is no simple human endeavor. If salvation is going to come through this weakness, then it must be a work of God. A deliverer emerges out of the darkness. Why did God choose to inaugurate salvation through an infant born in this way, he did it to show the world that the power to save, the power to save has got to be from somewhere else. It is indeed from God. This little child that's coming signifies the unstoppable power of the one true and living God. That power supersedes this world. Why? Because it is not of this world. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas, an unspeakable power. But lastly, we see a defeated darkness. Yes, there's darkness. Yes, there is. But there's a deliverer in that darkness. Even though it's deserved, there's a deliverer. And in the end, we see that the darkness is defeated. This rescuing king that God is promising to these folks, he's promising that his hurting people will, this guy will be like no other king because he will continue forever and his rule will never end. Just in our study of Daniel recently, we saw the Egyptians on the world stage, mighty and seemingly indestructible. They were destroyed. And in came the Babylonians. I mean, they did wonderful things. They left such a legacy, mighty kings, ultimate power. And then what? They were gone. We saw the Assyrians come in, and then the Medo-Persians, and then later on the Greeks, and then later on the Romans. We've seen all of this happen, and now none of them is still around. But the word of God tells us that this king, the child that will be born, the son that will be given, is never going to end. His rule will last forever. In the clothing donation bin right down the hall here, where so many of you generously drop off clothing uh, for missions every, uh, every so often, I found this hat uh, this week, a Tennessee Vols hat, right there. I know you did it on purpose, whoever you are. <laughs> you know how I know that? Because those are tall boxes. You could have hidden it down there. You could have dropped it down in the box. But you left it there just for your pastor uh, to walk through and see. I'm from Tennessee, if you don't know that. But <clears throat> I walked through, I saw that, I thought, those turkeys. One of them, <laughs> one of them has done this. I got to thinking, you know, my grandfather was so proud of the Tennessee Volunteers, and in 1986, they won the national championship. I think I've got that right. Oh, he was so proud. He had shirts on, uh, national champions, a special tag on his car, national champions. He had to pay extra for it. He, he loved it. But it wasn't many years. He was still wearing the shirt, but guess what? The year had gone by for a while, and the graphics started getting faded for a while, and they stopped offering that license tag down at the clerk's office why because it was gone 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 victory for a day strength for a day on top of the hill for a moment and then guess what it just sours and fades away we're used to that happening aren't we but the bible tells us this will <clears throat> this will never happen when we place our trust in jesus jesus will never be he will never be a has-been. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, 
that this makes Jesus the guarantor. What's a guarantor? He guarantees it, right? This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Listen to verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus will never not live. He will never not rule. He will never not reign. We have a Savior who never fails. There are those here this morning who have dads who are not in the picture, and they should be. And I'm sorry. We have people here this morning whose mothers have left you, and they shouldn't have. And I'm sorry. But I do know that you bear the marks of that and the scars of that, even on your best day. There is a whisper of that pain that haunts you. I was on Sand Mountain, Alabama this week doing a funeral for someone up there. This lady was the strength of her family, the example that everybody looked to her, 90 years old. She passed away. She didn't abandon them. She didn't forsake them. She didn't leave them. But death took her. We see people in situations all around whose strength fails us for one reason or another. Jesus never fails. That's the message of Christmas today. Because of this, those who place their hope in the child of Christmas will never be abandoned. You'll never be abandoned by Jesus. I don't care how bad you've been hurt. I don't care how fresh that wound of that loss feels to you. You will never be abandoned by Jesus. You will never be forsaken by Jesus. You will never be left alone or let down by Jesus. He lives forever. The Bible says here, this will be so from this time forth and forevermore. The joy, the strength, the promise, and the salvation that entered the world through Jesus Christ, they are irrevocable because he is undefeatable. Jesus is here to stay. What a hope we have at Christmas. So much more than the cartoons. So much more than the scene at the manger. A living Savior who never fails. And the Bible tells us that the zeal of the Lord of hosts is what is going to accomplish this. How can I know for sure that this is going to happen? God's own determined purpose will see it through. That's what zeal is. God has determined to do it. In fact, Jesus has not only been born into this world, but God saw him through to be raised from the dead. Now he lives forever with him in heaven. And if not even death could stop Jesus, then whatever sin whatever heartache, whatever brokenness you're facing is no obstacle for him either. Jesus is still able to save. He's still able to rescue, redeem, and restore. And listen, even in 2024, he can bring light into our darkness. Matthew, my darkness is not exactly like theirs. That's okay. The light of the world has come. Why don't you let Jesus reign in your Christmas this year? Let me pray. just a moment I'd be happy to offer you a chance to respond maybe you'd come this morning and just pray 
just seek a measure of light into whatever darkness that you've been facing this year. Maybe you've been distracted at Christmas. You just want to come and ask the Lord Jesus to open up your eyes to experience it the right way. Lead your family. Maybe someone here today needs to come for salvation. What a neat testimony that would be. I was saved right at Christmas time. When the Lord Jesus was celebrated as coming into the world, he came into my life. I took that step. I never looked back. Boy, we would celebrate with you. Nothing to be embarrassed about. We've all done that. We would all be happy to stand with you today. If you need to come for another reason, church membership or baptism or a need I haven't mentioned, I'll be here. Be happy to pray with you or give you privacy, whatever you need. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. Even for that ancient 700 plus years old prophecy of, of, of Isaiah. That to our eyes is, is somewhat confusing, Lord. Thank you for the truth of Christmas that you sent of your son to come into a world full, filled with darkness a darkness of our own making, a darkness of our own deserving. It was our sin that got us there, but it was your hand that lifted us out. We celebrate that, Lord. Help us to do so in a way that pleases you. If someone needs to come today, if there's someone here who says, I've got to make that step of salvation. I'm sick of this. I want Jesus. Lord, give them the courage to come. I pray for our choir tonight. You give them strength and courage to lead us. For our musicians, for those who are coming here uh, from the community, those who are lost, who haven't heard, Lord, make their hearts ready. Make the message powerful, Lord. Holy Spirit, interpret it right to their personhood, Father. Just how they need to hear it. And help your people to pray for that. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm gonna let it shine.